good morning. And uh, again, if you didn't catch my name, I'm Laura. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we are so glad you are joining us for our sermon series titled The Ten Commandments. Now, if you are new to faith or you've missed a couple weeks, this is week six of our series. Let me, ex so you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, today we're going to cover commandment number six. Well, you'd be wrong. And if you uh, missed last week, I'll explain why. So when you're planning Vacation Bible School and you're looking at the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> this week would have landed on thou shall not murder. And so when you have potential to have a mixed audience that might be a little younger, we thought it best to swap up our commandments. So in fact, today we are covering commandment number five, honor your mother and father. So we are taking the time to study these commandments and why we think they're pretty important for our lives because some of us might be thinking that these are an antiquated set of rules. But the truth of the matter is that God wants the very best for you and for me and for all of his people. That's why he created these guidelines so that we can live our best lives under his authority. So... Let me set the scene for today's commandment. Every Wednesday, since my daughters were about three or four years old, we came to church for Wednesday night classes. Tim and I would go to our small group, and we would drop our daughters off in their classes and for them to learn something about Jesus. Well... One particular Wednesday night, the girls get in the car, and our oldest daughter, and for the sake of this story my favorite daughter, says to me, Mom, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, Exodus 20, 12. Of course, me, being so incredibly proud, looks at my younger daughter, and expecting an equally amazing response, I say to her, oh, and for the sake of this story, she shall be named Tim's daughter, <laughs> she knows. She's sitting right here. <laughs> I said, that's so good. Tim's daughter, what did you learn tonight? And me, thinking she'd repeat the same memory verse and thinking of how proud I would be, listen excitedly as Tim's child says, honor your father. <laughs> and so I wait. And I lovingly say, and mother? And Tim's child says, nope, honor your father. And sticks her thumb in her mouth with this little grin on her face. And the night carries on. <laughs> From then on, it became the Jackson family joke. And sometimes a mama reminder that yes, indeed, the Bible says to honor both father and mother. But before we dive into commandment number five, let's take a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the personal decision of Violet to be baptized. We celebrate that she wants to follow you and know you and love you. God, bless her and continue to pave paths for her and her family as she continues in her faith walk with you. God, we lift up our youth who are currently embarking on Boundary Waters journey up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, God. We bless, we ask for your blessings on those seven, those eight high school students, as well as Pastor Eric, Pastor Mike, and Laura. 
as they um, grow to know one another and grow closer to you. Keep them safe and healthy. May the weather be good and the bugs be few. God, we lift them to you. And any prayers that we have on our hearts today, God, may we lay them at your feet and may we be open to hear what it is you need us to hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today, I want to take a look at commandment number five from the perspective of family. So when you hear the word family, what words come to mind? Just shout them out. Any words? Keep it PG. We're in the house of the Lord, please. But what words come to mind when you hear the word family? Children, grandparents, relationships, love, awesome. These are all awesome answers. My favorite answer is written by a child to God. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. Love, Nan. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Sometimes. And while we laugh at that, the reality is family can be messy, and it can be hard, and oftentimes it can be difficult. Now, this may not always be the case for all of us, but for some of us, it is a reality. So today, we're going to look at commandment number five. And I have to say right off the bat, there's a lot that we could unpack when it comes to this commandment. But for the sake of time, we're going to come at this commandment from the perspective of family. Both our nuclear family, those we live with, those we celebrate special occasions with, and our church family. Those of us sitting here or online, our faith community. And we're going to see how in commandment number five, we can live our best lives for God when it comes to the family that God has given us and the family that God has called us to be in community with. We're going to spend some time seeing how this commandment applies to our lives and how we can live into it better. Commandment 5 says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So how do we live our best lives for God when it comes to family? To answer this question, I want to look at a somewhat familiar story to many of us here today. In fact, in Vacation Bible School this week, we spent some time in this story as well. In Luke chapter 15, we read a story told by Jesus that is most commonly known as the prodigal son, the lost son, or my personal favorite, the loving or forgiving father. Rembrandt's famous painting with the younger son on his knees before the loving and welcoming father has become for many as much of an inspiration as the story itself. And yet, people, people often look at this story as simply a wonderful story of love and forgiveness, which is indeed its greatest theme. But I would say that this story is also a story of the importance of following God as the authority figure in our life and how in doing so, we are living our best lives. So let's take a look at what Luke has to say in chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, in 21st century thought, we might think that asking dear old dad for some money to go our separate way is not such a big deal. But in the ancient world, 
This was huge. You see, when the younger son asked for his share of the inheritance, that meant that the father had to split his land into two shares. And when the younger son sold his share, it was sold outside of the family. Asking for his share before his father's death was the same as saying, I wish you were dead. But nevertheless, the father granted his request anyway. The Bible goes on to say, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In ancient Judaism, a pig was an extremely unclean animal. So for a Jew to have anything to do with pigs is bad enough. But for him to be feeding them and hungry enough to share their food is even worse. This is his rock bottom. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Eventually, the prodigal son in the story comes to the realization that he would rather be a servant on his father's land than to live this way. So he returns home. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read this story, I picture the son sleeping with these gross, disgusting, smelly animals, having a come-to-Jesus moment, if you will. I imagine him having this inner dialogue saying to himself, well, was it really that bad? Was my life before I left really that awful? I mean, was my dad really that horrible? And as he gets up and he heads home again, and I'm purely speculating, but I always picture the inner dialogue continuing and what he will say to his dad when he gets home. It's like when you're really little and you know you've messed up and now you have to tell your grown-up. Remember that feeling? That's what I picture him to feel like. I picture him saying, I could say this or I could say that and kind of wringing his hands and fretting. The Bible goes on to tell us, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Here's the prodigal son thinking to himself, oh man, I really messed up. My dad's going to make me a servant. But it'll be better than nothing, so I'll take it. But instead, when he hits the road home, his father sees him from a distance and drops everything and runs to him. As the son begins his confession, the father dismisses it. He calls for a celebration and restores him to the family. Luke continues saying, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property, will, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And finding out the celebration is for his brother, the older brother gets angry and refuses to party with the fam. He's so mad, he files a complaint with his father saying, this son of yours, rather than my brother. Luke continues writing, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now this parable told by Jesus is in reference to the Pharisees and their conduct towards Jewish law. But how applicable is it to the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? In order to fully understand what Jesus was saying here and why it's so significant, we must first understand that after the Israelites were brought out of Egypt to the promised land, they were sent into exile in Babylon. And while many of the exiles returned, the Jews were still waiting for God to produce a new exodus to liberate them from exile. Jesus telling this story using a wicked son in a foreign land is saying, Hey, here's your liberator. Here is the one who will set you free. Return home to God and he will free you. I love that image. He will free you. And while this is written in first century context, how applicable is this to us in the 21st century? What does this mean for you and for me when it comes to living into the fifth commandment to honor our father, father and mother? How can we do this? And who does this apply to? Today, I want to unpack this commandment in relation to this parable speaking to three different groups of us here today. Group number one, as children of parents, we must look at what they have done right. I would argue the second part of the parable is where it's at. This son was away in a foreign land, spending all of his inheritance, and he has time to truly think about how his life was before he left. He recognizes life wasn't so bad back on the land with dear old dad and recognizes that he may in fact want to live there and have a better life than the one he's experiencing now. 
I would argue that the prodigal son has sort of an aha moment and that dad has probably done some things right. In fact, I believe he left us with three things to consider when looking what it means to honor our father and mother. Number one, we must see their humanity. To honor your earthly father and mother is precisely the opposite of what we often do. Some parents are abusive or negligent, but I believe that most parents are trying their best to do their best. Yet we tend to fault them anyway. We tend to blame them for what they did wrong, and then we lay our, any explanation with them for our feelings, withholdings, withholding our appreciation based on this. I had a friend that used to say to me, my goal in parenting is to have my child end up talking about me on Oprah rather than Jerry Springer. <laughs> to honor them, we need to look instead to what they did right. Several years ago, I took a parenting class, and on day one, class one, the leader asked each one of us, what did your parents do right? And I will never forget, one of the participants in the class said, my parents divorced well. Now, that might seem like a weird thought, that that's what she was acknowledging, but that's never left me, and here's why. This person could have said nothing. She could have gone on and on talking about all the wrongs that her parents had done, talking about A, B, C. And while, yes, there is a time and a place for those conversations, I've never forgotten her response because for me, this response honored her parents. We need to recognize this in the same way we recognize their failings. And we, we need to recognize what our parents or caregivers or grandparents have done right. Number two, we need to forgive. In recognizing what our parents have done right, we also need to forgive one another in our shortcomings. Sometimes forgiving is saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's saying, you are forgiven. Sometimes, as a parent, it means we truly are listening, no matter the age of our child, when they are telling us how they feel. Not responding, but listening, and then genuinely saying, I'm sorry. Forgiveness can mean forgiving your parent or loved one, and this is hard, even when an apology is not offered. Forgiveness looks different in each story of our lives, but in the prodigal son, we see a son who is fully prepared to live a completely different lifestyle than what he had previously been living, even if it meant he would be forgiven for hurting his father the way he did. And the third part of looking at what they have done right is tell them they did a good job. Now, that might be difficult for some of us, and we may not be here yet. In fact, the prodigal son never got the chance to fully give his apology or tell his dad, but I want to encourage us here today. If you hear this message and you are not recognizing what your parent or caregiver has done well in your life or you have not told them, I want to encourage you to tell them. Let them know that you're grateful for them or something that they did well in raising you. You may be surprised at what happens just like in the prodigal son. 
So number one, when it comes to honoring our parents, we need to recognize what they did right. The second group of people I want to talk to is um, parents or caregivers or grandparents. Now, as parents, we must chain up our children. If you are sitting there thinking to yourself, I am none of these things, you are not off the hook. I will get to you in a moment. But at first, I want to address the parents and caregivers here today. I saw that, Jackson. If kids, <laughs> if kids are going to honor parents, part of our job as parents or caregivers or grandparents is to make that as natural and as genuine as possible. We do this when we bring them up well. And here are a few ways that parents can help children live into this commandment. Number one, raise them to know the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9, when referring to the law, says that we parents or caregivers need to impress them on our children, talk about them when we sit at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Raising up a child to know God and follow God can look different in each home. So what does your spiritual rhythm in your home look like? Are you talking about God when you wake up, when you go to bed? Are you praying together? Do you have time set aside for daily devotionals for one another? If your children are outside of the home or you have grandchildren, are you praying for them? Are you modeling a godly life by joining a small group or doing daily devotionals? What does the spiritual rhythm in your home look like for you and your family? Here are a few ideas to help you and your family live into this communion, or into this commandment, excuse me. You can say table grace together. Thank God for the food at your table. Talk about God's creation all around you. Allow children to ask questions. Admit when you don't know the answer. Help them find that answer. Take time sharing about your day. In our house, we call it pits and cherries. In your house, you can call it blessings and bummers. But take time to share about your day. Read scripture together. Pray at bedtime. Attend service. This looks different at different age levels. So if you ever need resources or support, please, Pastor Mike, Pastor James, Pastor Eric, myself, we are here to help you live into this um, easier and better. Number two, recognize what your children have done right. Well, I don't think this needs a great deal of explanation. I'd like to take a minute and encourage us in this. We are all created in the image of God, our children included. And while they may not be doing something the way we think they should be doing it, I am sure somewhere in their methods, they are doing something right. As parents, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 tells us, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I think as parents, I know I do, I sometimes forget that last piece Fathers, do not exasperate your children, right? I know at times it's easier to see what they're doing wrong, but if what if raising 
up our children. We recognize what they are doing right. I know this father and the prodigal son could have easily ticked off all the things the son had done, done wrong. But he didn't. He welcomed him home. And number three, when it comes to raising up our children, we need to love our children as God has loved us. It's here that I want to take a closer look at the father in this story. As a parent and as a child of parents, I understand full well the complexity of parenting and family. I understand. Sometimes our kids, I love my children. Sometimes they can drive us bananas. It's not an easy job, no matter the age. But that, that they may, I mean, there's so many emotions that come with it, right? But here's the thing. The father in the story loved his child. And I would argue that he loved his child the way God loves us. He welcomed him with loving, open arms, and he threw a party for him. Now, I get it. Some days the frustration or tension may be so great that a party is the last thing you want to throw at your child. But let me encourage all of you parents and caregivers here today. No matter the age of your child, no matter what you're walking through with your child or children, remember this. God gave that child to you. He trusts you to be the earthly caregiver for the, for the child he created in his image. God loves us unconditionally, despite all the crazy, awful ways we've hurt him throughout history. As parents, caregivers, grandparents, whatever role we partake in as a member of a family, it is our responsibility to love our children as God has loved us, like the father loved the prodigal son. And the, oh, one more thing. So sorry. It's my favorite slide. All right. I love my job. If you ever spend five minutes talking, about, talking to me, I love my job. And one of the cool realities, but one of the saddest realities, is that we, in Faith Kids and Student Ministries, only get about 40 hours a year with your child. That makes me sad because I love your children. You, the family, get over 3,000 hours to spend with your child. So in order to live into the fifth commandment well, we need to ensure that we are helping our children live into this commandment as well. The third and final group that I want to talk to today is all of us here. It takes a village. Remember that I told you, if you aren't a parent or a grandparent or a caregiver, you're not off the hook. Do you remember that? Here we are. I'm talking to all of us. According to Fuller Youth Institute, most people come to faith between the ages of 4 and 14 years old. If families, and by families I mean anyone in the church family of God here, if anyone in our family sense that they are not valued or needed by the church community, they will leave. Enter the third part of this family bit that we've been discussing today. 
all of us here, the church family. In order to live into commandment number five, we need to remember that it takes a village. To illustrate this point, I want to look at two people groups in today's parable. So when the son returns home, the father calls to the servants to bring out the the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And they have a party. All of them, they all celebrate together. The Bible tells us all of them are in on it. And then there's the other son. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. And he goes on and on filing complaints with his father. Which group do we represent? Are we the group that puts down everything we're doing to celebrate the coming home of a lost son or daughter? Or are we the group that clings to the laws like the Pharisees of Jesus' time as being more important than the life of a lost son or daughter? It is my hope and prayer to have a church family that celebrates the son or daughter returning. So I want to leave us with a few ways that we can do this as a church. There's an acronym that I want us to remember as a church family, and it's D-N-A. The D stands for disciple. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, tells us, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. It is our job as a church family to be teaching. Now, this can be formal and this can be informal. Formal in a classroom, like leading a small group or volunteering in kids or youth or whatever that looks like. But it can also be informal. When Tim's child was little, her name is Kelly in this story, she used to look around the sanctuary and watch everyone singing. Now, there were these two gentlemen in our church that danced for Jesus. I mean, danced for Jesus. And some of you are nodding your heads because you know who I am talking about. But their hands were up and they were praising God. And Kelly used to call them the joyful men. And every Sunday she looked for them. Sometimes Kelly would take my arm and she'd raise it up so that her arm could be up too. She was learning. She was being discipled by these joyful men. Each of us here are disciples in some way or another. How are we discipling to those in our midst? The N stands for nurture. It is our job to help one another grow in Christ. This is reaching out to one another when in need, praying for each other, welcoming new folks into our midst, maybe even giving up our favorite seat to a new person. Now this looks different for each of us, but how are we helping one another grow in our faith family? And the last part of DNA is the A, which stands for Alleluia. We need to worship celebrate, praise God for our sons and daughters in this church family. We need to thank God for them. Now, I know this is a lot easier to do with some folks than others. I totally understand that. But what if we changed our mindset 
and reminded ourselves that we are all created in the image of God, not just the ones that are easy to celebrate. When we read this in Genesis, there's not a caveat. There's not an asterisk. There's not a footnote saying all of us are created in the image of God except that crazy lead pastor guy. No, we need to celebrate each other just as the servants did in the prodigal son. Now, here are a few easy practical ways that we as a church family can be living out DNA. We can provide intentional encouragement to one another. We can pray. The Bible tells us pray without ceasing. We can offer support. We can serve. We can reach out across the aisle to welcome new people. And the last one is we can be sticky. So in kids and student ministries, we believe that it is the responsibility of the church family to help the next generation grow in their faith. We practice what's called sticky faith. And one of the ways the Sticky Faith authors suggest is to have five people not related to you help your child grow in their relationship so that they may honor the second part of the commandment, to live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. There are, these are five godly adults that are integral in the spiritual formation of a child. I know... I'm the children's pastor up here saying this. So the assumption is that I'm going to put in a ridiculously shameless plug asking you to consider serving in the coolest, most awesome ministry there is. But I would never go on and on about what an influence you make in the lives of children or how if your church has no children, it's not a growing church and how critical children... I mean, I would never do that. Instead... What I want to do is I want to encourage you. It doesn't have to be a child or a youth. It can be a college-age student. It can be a young adult. It can be a single person. It can be a newly married person. How about those empty nesters? How about those that are struggling with loss of a spouse or those who are going through surgery? How about those that are grandparents and want to love their kids better and aren't sure how to do it? There's a million of us here, not in, not, it's a figurative, not a literal million. There are so many of us here that can use the, the acronym DNA. Where is God calling you to be a family to the sons and daughters of our church family? As we recognize that children of all ages make mistakes and that we as a church family should be welcoming them with open arms, yes, there is accountability to be had. Yes, there's repentance, there's forgiveness, and restoration to be worked through. But what if, but if we do not offer a safe place of unconditional love, just like in the prodigal son, we will lose our children to exile in foreign lands. One of the reasons God gave us the fifth commandment is because family matters to God. When we seek to honor our parents, and as parents and a community seek to raise the kids entrusted to us well, we are set free to live our best lives when it comes to the family. Will you pray with me?
Father God, we thank you for this time to be together. God, I just want to ask your hand of blessing on those here today. Whether it be someone feeling like a lost son or daughter, God, I just ask that you put your hand on them, that their heart may be open to know that they can return home because you are loving. You have your arms open to welcome us. Father God, help us to grow into this commandment so that we may have our arms open to welcome lost sons and daughters, no matter the age, God. We thank you so much for the example of the father and the prodigal son. Help us, God. Help us to be that person. Help us to know that if we feel lost, we have a place. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.